Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. This is the Dubai Real Estate Podcast, investing in all things Dubai and the GCC region. I have a very special guest, and actually we've been talking for about 30 minutes off camera, so I'm a little bit concerned about what we're going to talk we're about. We're going to run out of topics. We're going to run out of topics, <laughs> aren't we? Uh, I've got Farida Al-Agami, and I did say oh, hopefully I've... Perfect pronunciation. Brilliant. And Farida is the GM of Tharawat Family Business Forum. So firstly, welcome Farida. Thank you very much, Carl. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. Well, thank you very much for your time and parking was okay. So we're here to, uh, to crack on with the, um, the podcast. So we have been talking about numerous different things over the last couple of weeks in our podcast. Um, about four weeks ago, we talked about foundations and how they may impact uh, legacy. And what we're here to talk about today is basically family businesses, family enterprises, family offices. And you hear the words thrown about very, very often. Yes. And I think not many understand what they are, what they do, what its purpose is, and what impact they have on the region. And we talked, and even I was surprised. So (laughs) tell me a little bit about your organization first, if you don't mind. Also, what you do. Of course, of course. Um, So the Tharawat Family Business Forum uh, is a nonprofit platform organization uh, that gathers family business owners from across the MENA. Um, and we uh, educate, we offer learning opportunities for owners, but we also do a lot of research. And the reason why we do a lot of research is because um, across the MENA region, um, and that includes obviously the Gulf, the GCC countries, um, there's very little insight and know-how around family ownership and family businesses, and specifically also their impact, their macro- macroeconomic impact. Hmm, okay. So we talked about what that what what it actually means in terms of what is a family office what is an enterprise tell me a little bit about really what is one what is a family business what is an enterprise what what do they do here what's the purpose how, how can we define it i know there's no probably actual definition but what is it well unfortunately uh you know there's about i would say around 20 different types of definitions of family business and then there's different definitions of family offices and then you have the family enterprise so it's, it's a bit of a wordy sector, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Um, the way we look at it is that the, that it's an enterprise where the majority um, of uh, control um, is in the hands of a family. Um, in our case, we mostly work with um, family businesses that already are in second or third generation, so that have had that first succession moment uh, already, because that's kind of quite a special situation, right? When you manage to cross that bridge and hand over to a next generation, that makes you into, that turns you into quite a special enterprise. So a family enterprise, without naming names, can we say some companies that are responsible for large automotive businesses or? So that's that's a very interesting question, right? Um, Because you find family, businesses across the entire spectrum in terms of size and in terms of industry. Um, what we are missing in the in the region is a, is a really good segmentation, but we can generally say that about 70% of the private sector um, is family owned. So that already gives you kind of a- Wow, a and big, that's here. That is in the region, okay, absolutely. The region, yeah. So it depends of course on each country a little bit. Yeah. There are some countries where it's more, some countries where it's less, depending on the economic history of those countries as well which is another story, it's very interesting. Um, but then you, of course, start looking at what industries are they focused on, right? We see a lot of families in the Gulf, specifically in trading, 
um, because that's a very traditional activity and that has lasted across generations. In real estate, we actually see a lot of families, again, because it's something that has lasted uh, across generations. Um, but then, of course, we also see different families uh, in terms of size, right? So you have a big concentration, actually, of micro and small businesses that are family-owned. Um, and then it it's thinning out a little bit more towards the medium-sized companies. And then, of course, you still have large conglomerates that are family-owned. But I would say, in comparison, they're probably at the lower end of the of the spectrum in terms of numbers. I'm just, my mind's still blown by by that seventy percent. Yeah, unbelievable how important families or family businesses have to this this economy or many economies in the region. It's unbelievable. Well, it's really interesting because when I tell people that I grew up in Switzerland, um, they're like, "Well, you know, Switzerland is a mature economy, and it's going to have." family businesses but also a lot of non-family businesses and i tell them that and these statistics are quite accurate actually uh 88 of our private sector is family owned 88 of really? the swiss private sector is family owned so you know that gives you the dimensions and the importance for us as an organization but also as a community and a society to understand the role and how can we support that very important um you know asset basically economic asset to continue would we know some of the names of some of these family enterprises? Like, would we see them on our rows every day in terms of like us relating them back to what, what, how it is in real life? Well, of course. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an international one. Okay. Uh, Mars. Mars, Mars is a fully family owned private enterprise. Wow. It's one of the big five, six FMCG companies worldwide, and it's fully family owned. I've got a secret for you. I really like chocolate. Well, there you go. <laughs> Oh, when I see what Mars owned in terms of the the, the brands, I'm yeah. like, wow, that's unbelievable. So that's my little uh, exactly my little vibe. your side project. Yeah. Exactly. And it's very interesting. Okay, so what about um, family offices? Again, we talked off camera. There's a, an explosion yes. of family offices in the region. What's the difference there? Yeah. So that's very interesting. So the family office, actually, um, scientifically speaking, is actually more of an Anglo-Saxon phenomenon. So we could trace back family offices to kind of the big industrial, American industrialist families, um, I would say turn of the century um, into the 20th century that had really ridden the wave of the first, second industrial revolution, made a lot of money um, and either cashed out or started realizing that they need to manage the, the all these profits that they had made. Um, and so the family office really was developed out of a need of these families in the US uh, and some in the UK to kind of manage the cash that came out of the first and second industrial revolution. So that's where it comes from. And I think it's always important to remind ourselves when we just adopt terms like that, yep. that we kind of remember, hang on a second, what's the concept behind this? Why did this develop? Why did it evolve? What was the context of its evolution? And then look at what's happening here. So. Fast forward 150 years or something, uh, or 100 years, let's say. Um, here we are in a region that looks very different from the US in those times. And yet suddenly we have this emergence of, of family offices. So what does that mean? Uh, and what we're looking at is really trying to understand how in our case and in our region, it's a different format. Because what happens here is that people actually keep their operating entities. Right? The family business, the tra traditional entity, will keep operating. We take care of it. We try to grow it. But at the same time, we are institutionalizing the wealth that has come from 
that enterprise. And so it's a parallel structure rather than a kind of one after the other system. And so what's interesting here is that we see that the need to institutionalize that capital comes from, in my opinion, part of it is certainly that we have an increased complexity of the markets, right? Before you were okay with a bit of real estate, a bit of gold, a bit of public markets, and then maybe if you want to do some alternatives, you're, you know, you can play around with yep. it. Today, uh, I mean, it's very, very complex to take the right decisions. And again, if we go back to the idea of what's behind a family ownership, that is generation, often generational success. So that means I'm not just investing for today or tomorrow or even next year. I'm actually investing for my grandchildren. So what does that mean? And because of the increased complexity, it's interesting to see that we now start structuring that capital much more than we did before. Family offices in the most simplistic way is, is a person or a, a number of people managing a family's wealth uh, based on obviously whether it's short-term, long-term needs. In, this, in essence, that's what it is. Obviously, there'll be certain governance with regards to things they have to do, things you have to meet, but... Essentially, that's what it, what it is. Well, look, I can tell you, uh, if there's no definition for family business, there is absolutely no definition for a family office. Okay. <laughs> I'm not helping. I know, I'm not helping. Not speaking, uh... <laughs> Pandora's box. Um, a family office, people in this space always say, you know a family office, then you know a family office. Like, there is no comparison. There are trends. There are comparative contexts that lead to similar um, decision-making or structuring. But there's very little uh, right now, actually, uh, in terms of blueprint of what a family office looks like. Okay, the... before, before we move on then, on this, because we could talk about it for a long mm -hmm. time, in very like most simple, simple term, you can difference between family office and, and family enterprise. Yeah, so a family business, what we call a family business, and I'm going to just tell your viewers and listeners that yeah. this is the definition that we work with. The family business is the operating traditional asset that is a factory or the enterprise that generates the revenue for the family, right? It might, that probably we, we would also call the legacy asset, okay. right? So that has been the one thing that has been handed over across generations. The family office is an investment platform. Yeah. It's a, it's a, also a governance, it can be a governance platform. So it can be used, for example, that's why I'm saying the definition is really hard because on the one hand, you have family offices, single family, we're obviously talking about single family offices, single family offices that purely manage the wealth of, of families. Then you have single family offices that actually manage the wealth, but then also manage the family governance. For example, they do training for the next generation. Uh, they help the family with private wealth management. Uh, they organize um, even philanthropy of the family. So all of that could go under potentially a family office. I'm stealing my next points, by the way. I've got all my points, you've seen them. Well, you know, <laughs> you've done your research. <laughs> so, um, one of the questions I've got here was was talking about family enterprises, but the, and when we talked off camera, it made I opened my own, my mind up hugely with regards to succession. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think we talked about myself and Lewis with the owners of this business. Technically, we are a family business. Absolutely. I, I have two kids. He has two kids. Yep. Let's say there's an explosion of more kids, another five each, for example. You talked off camera about potentially potentially being, what's that, 12 decision makers or more in a business yep. enterprise in the future. Do you 
elaborate a bit more on that? Sure. Well, uh, I mean, we started talking about it, and I, I said that to me, um, succession is not a succession plan. It has to be a succession culture. And it's always said that, I, I sometimes disagree with it, but anyways, that's for another time. Um, it's, it's often said that succession is the most critical moment in a family enterprise's lifespan. Um, and I understand why, because obviously you're going from a concentrated decision-making, let's say if we go from first generation to second generation, but even second generation to third generation, right? So siblings to cousins, um, you're talking about a transfer of everything that is relevant to the success of this enterprise. Decision-making, decision values, vision, long-term thinking, all of that came from a concentrated group of people or from one individual, and suddenly now it's more than one person. So it's not just actually funny to think about it. It's not just for the family. It's also that the entity, the business, needs to get used to the fact that, hang on a second, now there's a whole different set of conversations happening. So how does that then link to the business? And how do we avoid that that rocks the ship too much, right? A bit of a bit of disruption is always healthy, I think. Yeah. But it has to be healthy disruption, yeah. right? And it has to be kind of with an intention of future success. So succession to me is a culture and not a process or not a plan. Why is it a culture? It's because I think that we all, as we are aware of our mortality, and people hate it when I talk like this because it is about mortality. And by the way, how um, I was talking to my father about something a couple of weeks ago. People feel really uncomfortable talking Absolutely. about... Absolutely. Absolutely. That. And it is hard. It yeah. is very, very hard. And, you know, I always... We have a tendency to tell people, oh, you just have to let go, you know, and I find that so disrespectful because none of us is comfortable talking about this. None of us is psychologically equipped um, to be comfortable unless we've done years and years of work to come to terms with our mortality. Mm -hmm. So you already have that issue, right? So it's about what is after me. Succession planning is actually about thinking without yourself. That makes it complex. Because I have heard via different conversations, people's people's view of, well, I'm gone, I'm gone. It's not my problem. <laughs> but the way I think about it is actually there's 500 people, wherever in, the, in this, that that need, basically, what happens next? Am I getting paid? Is there still a job? Is there still a business? And, and you know, and it really depends on your relationship with those people, right? If, if I pretend or I'm convinced that I love someone or that I care for people, um, then I need to take the responsible step and think beyond myself. And that's, th that's hard. The other hard thing is then for the people who are supposedly need to take over, I can't just wait to equip them, right? Uh, very often we see people um, waiting until people are like 20, 25 years old because they think, oh, then they intellectually can understand. Yes, maybe the intellectual capacity increases, but emotionally there's a lot that happens before that. Mm. So there has to be communication and dialogue to explain how that process is running. How, I mean, off subject here, but do you, have you come across, because you advise a lot of family businesses at large levels and, and down, have you come across a founder and owner, obviously without naming names, where they have that carelessness viewpoint of, well, again, it's not my problem. Honestly, in my 14 years, 
almost never. Mm -hmm. I, I, I literally, I can't say never because I, maybe I don't remember, but I would say that from what I remember, I have never spoken to a family business owner who did not care about what was going to happen after. Okay. So how do you navigate or how do you advise from a large-ish family for the succession or navigating how that might happen? Because my view is, and me and my brother talk about it, money reveals someone's true character. And unfortunately, it makes you mad sometimes when you've got it and when you haven't got it. And you can kind of see people behave differently. So how do you kind of navigate them potentially ropey waters where you've got lots of different personalities having a say on something? Yes. Well, honestly, the first thing I always say is start early. Uh, and people are shocked when I say start when they're five. Start even earlier. Really? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm not saying bring them to the boardroom. <laughs> sit through a board meeting. Um, but what I mean is... As a leader, you know what's difficult in family businesses is we ha we both have to be leaders of the business and leaders in our community and, and our family. Those are very different leadership types. They're very different leadership styles. Yeah. And I think that when we talk about succession, I cannot apply my business leadership style to making these people run the way I want to run them. And I think that's now emerging in research is that it's a much more collaborative process than it is a one-way street. And you were asking before about, you know, legal structures and all of that. I'm a lawyer. I love well-structured situations, yeah. right? I think it's, they're worth so much and they help when things are not clear or when it's murky. But do they fix a situation where people are not able to communicate? I don't think so. So have you instances where you've had the clarity of the legal documentation, but not agreement or cooperation from people in the family? More than you would think. Really? More than you would think. So how would you tackle that in your, in your role or your advisory with regards to day-to-day? -day? So what we do, we are educators, yeah. right? We believe that it's important for people to have access to information. It's important for people to hear other family stories. We were talking about the importance of peer learning. So we really believe in that. It's, it's much more impactful for someone to listen to a peer that has gone through the same journey and that has come out of it with a better structure, a better system, better communication in the family than, um, you know, trying to kind of just focus on our own little lives and, and, you know, think that we have enough exposure. So I think speaking to others and being exposed to others, that's part of what we do. The second thing is that in the Middle East, um, specifically for Middle Eastern families, you know, the complexity is manifold because we have uh, geopolitical things that are happening. We have social evolution, uh, demographic changes. There's a lot of change happening. And I think that as an organization, I see our role as having that holistic view of society and then asking the questions that we think families are asking themselves, but perhaps don't have the time to explore, etc. And that ideally should contribute to the creation of that dialogue culture in the family, but also succession culture ultimately, because you're bringing people together around topics that gathers them. I'm conscious that we've been speaking quite a lot about succession and our potential demise. In terms of the uh, the outfit, how you um, sit within a family enterprise, like what, what other upsides could there be in terms of not just like education from a legacy perspective, but what about efficiencies? What about mm -hmm. governance in terms of 
improving people's knowledge of how to get the best out of all situations. It's, how's that handling? So, so we have something that we call the Tharawat model. And the Tharawat model is something that keeps evolving, but it's a model that looks at external disruptors and internal drivers. And that's how we position the family enterprise. So you can imagine the enterprise at the heart of this model. Um, inside the enterprise, you have these drivers that you have more or less control over. And then outside of the family enterprise, you have the factors that you do not have control over. So these are the demographics, environment, um, um, geopolitical shifts, um, mega trends, like, for example, that happened that we couldn't influence. So when we look at a family enterprise and we want it to succeed, so what does success mean also? That's a question, right? Do we want it to eternally grow? Do we want it to transform? Do we want it perhaps to split into two family enterprises? All of those scenarios for me are valid because I think ultimately what we're trying to do is to preserve a really important economic asset for this region. Yep. And so when you look at these internal drivers, of course you have to look at on the one hand succession, but then that's just one stream, right? The other stream is how do I behave as a leader? What's the leadership that is required to lead in all its different facets, this enterprise, right? Um, then you look at how do I need to look at my enterprise in its sector? All these industries are shifting. Maybe I've been in steel for 80 years, right? And I breathe steel, I eat no steel by heart, but the steel industry is disrupted. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for me? How do I shift my decision-making that I, with my 80 years of legacy, become an agile organization. So all of those are questions we need to ask. Uh, well, I was going to ask how relevant are family enterprises in the 21st century or for the, moving forward? I, because yeah, I know family businesses very often are not run by the family. Typically, they're people day to day doing doing stuff, but and depend on the size of the business. But can they get left behind? Are they? Is it because of the way they're, they're set up and formed that they're perhaps slow to change? What do you think? Well, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm slightly biased, of course, because I think family enterprises are very important. And I think um, given the right context and the right input, um, they will always outlast any other model. That's my personal slightly biased opinion. Um, do they have challenges? Absolutely, they have challenges. Um, you know, it's the comfort zone challenge, for example, right? You, you're, you're leading in your sector, could even be a smaller company, right? But you own that, that segment in the, in the industry. Um, is there a need to disrupt? Is there a need to change? Not so sure. How fast can we take the decision? Not so sure. Um, I, I once, I think it's a rhino, that animal that kind of starts running slow, but then picks up and outruns pretty much anyone. I think family businesses are like that. Once they have the right incentives and they have the right tools, decision-making can be super fast, can be very agile, and can actually outrun other economic actors. But perhaps using an analogy of looking at other rhinos, seeing what sort of animals, seeing how fast they go, seeing how they how right or wrong they do things, it may be better at and, and, you know, I think absolutely. And I think what's also important to think about is do we need family businesses in the economy, right? I literally once had someone saying, well, you know, uh, we have multinationals, uh, we have startups, uh, we have private equity companies that, you know, kind of make sure that private companies grow. So do we need family enterprises? Um, and my answer is absolutely. Well, your statistic backs it up 70%. How many jobs I would, I would love to know has that created? 
there is a there is a statistic that I usually don't quote because I don't really know where it comes from and I haven't verified the sources. Okay. But it's said that about sixty percent of job creation in the region is family. So, I mean, for me, there's no question. The question is, what are family businesses going to look like? Mm. And I think I think that's a very interesting and exciting question because we have the evolution of the family office. We have the family businesses that are these legacy companies and that can transform. So how are they going to look like in the next 20, 30, 40 years with all the shifts and changes that we see in the global market? So how, how can they future-proof? Is there any mm. work you're doing in now we did talk off camera and I'm fascinated with the educating siblings, family. Is that a part of future-proofing? Of course. I think having a well um, harmonized group of successors, um, whether it's going that they are just going to be just shareholders, whether they want to enter the business, they will need to have to take decisions together. So future-proofing for me is making sure that whoever is going to have decision-making power knows how to take decision in decisions in a group. So that's the first thing. The second thing is our, I think again, to come back to our role is to look at that kind of future scenario and try to understand with different stakeholders and experts what is the future of our economic reality going to look like and how does that translate to the realities that family businesses will have to face? Um, because I believe in the importance of long-term capital. Mm -hmm. I really believe in that. I think every region will need a mix of short-term, quick-moving capital and capital that actually secures the long-term future. A big part of what you do is educating, right? And obviously, there are other parts around that. So... Do you have younger siblings or wherever it might be, let's say call it someone who's in their teens in terms of do you do education or work with them? Because they are our next leaders, right? Of course, of course. I mean, just recently we were asked to do a workshop uh, for, um, I think, 18 next generations of a family here. Uh, and the ages were between 13 and 21. Really? You know, and of course, I'm not going to go in guns blazing with, you know, this is the board of directors and this is, you know, your shareholders agreement, all of those things. It's about awareness raising. Yeah. It's about slowly, softly getting people used to the idea what it means to have the responsibility of an enterprise. Because the benefits, if the business goes well, yeah. the benefits are clear. If the business doesn't go well, also, we notice that we're in a yeah. family business, right? But if the business goes well, we we have a nice life, and but we need to start people getting to get people ready to be able to understand what comes with that. Can I just say? So I'm not a big believer. You're going to shoot me down, actually, lawyer. I'm not a big believer in higher education, let's call it university, unless there is a specific requirement for something you want to do. So I have different family members who've gone to university and not ended up doing any field of anything that they do now, which is fine. They've enjoyed their time. I, my time in school, I, I can't from memory remember any real true value. I'm sure there was over time, any true value I took away that's benefited me in work life. My point being is that what you're doing there, the value and the understanding of getting people prepared will be i think far more valuable than that secondary school period because a lot of what you're doing with that can truly benefit them in life whereas 
I did my daughter's homework they were talking about Pythagoras and I'm thinking oh my god like is she going to use this ever well don't ask me that no now because <laughs> it's, it's truly amazing honestly yeah. it's um it's great to see because if that happened more around the world I'm not sure it does I think we'd be less underprepared as our next gen of people come into the, the boardrooms and well I think you know I think it's about empathy and it's about it's really about holistic leadership because when you know what the parameters are that you work with, and the parameters include the talent in your family, the talent outside of your family, and when you have basically x-ray vision of what that means, and you do it with empathy and understanding, I think then, honestly, it doesn't really matter how people evolve and what they do from a diploma perspective. But I think it's about generating an understanding and a culture around the opportunities that you have as a collective, the rights you have as an individual. That's a whole other topic, right? How do I balance those two things? Yeah. And to give people the right to be who they are with the skill set they were born with and what they would like to explore. And I think that the beauty of the family enterprise to me is that incredible kind of connection between very strong entrepreneurial financial decision making, right? Which is not scientific, but it has a, a certain hardness to it. Yeah. And then that very empathetic, almost instinctive leadership of a group of very diverse people, but who all can, in my opinion, contribute to the success. ESG. Yeah. We're pivoting here. What is that? What <laughs> <laughs> it's again it's another mind but what is it what does it mean and how, what impact will it have on family enterprises because I, I'm not going to answer it for you but I'm sure you answer the question facts no I mean, what, I what mean thank you thank you for the pivot yeah <laughs> um, so obviously ESG I, I'm not going to explain what ESG is because I think every listener has heard of it knows kind of what it is just um, human what is it in basic terms what is ESG what does it stand for so it's environmental uh, social and government principles okay. that are applied in an enterprise and it's it's concepts that have risen over the last uh, you know I would say decades actually, um, that we start realizing that we need to look at an enterprise as more just as a commercial entity. An enterprise has a footprint um, and that footprint needs to be looked at in terms of the responsibility that the enterprise has towards its stakeholders. Okay. The stakeholders can be manifold. We can start with the employees, we can start with suppliers, but then you start looking at society as a whole, right? And so the idea that now a company is being measured not just by its financial success, but also by standards that ask it to report on how do I impact society? How do I impact the planet? How do I impact kind of the ecosystem that makes me thrive, that makes me grow? And what do I give back to it? So that's kind of the, the concept. And governance is in there because we've spoken about governance. Governance to me is really kind of the, the you know, the nervous system of an enterprise, a well-running governance system, facilitates every single aspect. So, yeah. Let's say hypothetically, mm -hmm. I wanted to raise money for the business. Mm -hmm. Okay. An ESG, from my understanding, is quite high on in agendas with regards to being a part of your, not just your offering, but your thought person, how you see that. Is there pressure at government level for family enterprises to be more responsible, not just environmentally, but socially? I mean, I think across the world, we see changes in regulation, 
right? We see changes that governments are driven by a kind of mutual understanding that, you know, companies cannot just benefit from a certain ecosystem, but they have to give back. So I think that's a generally accepted idea now at this point in time. So what does that mean? Different governments are going to take different actions. Certain governments are going to be very heavy on regulation. Other governments are going to be more kind of suggestive in terms of this is where you should look, et cetera. Um, for example, listed companies, very easy, right? Because you have listing rules and you have governance rules for listed companies. You can literally put in there in the UK, for example, is actually quite strong on that. Uh, you know, they have very clear ESG principles that companies that are listed have to report on. Now, here it's starting. Listed companies already have a reporting mandate on ESG. Um, for private companies, it's a bit slower, but where it comes into play is because high, highly reputable lenders, for example, are often regulated by their home countries. Those home countries tend to regulate financial industry quite strictly. So then that kind of cascades down to the customer. Mm -hmm. So even if it's not at the core of your reflection as a business that you're like, you know what, it's probably not on my priorities list, you know, to look at these factors. Specifically, your, your suggestion of if I want to raise money, I actually need to be prepared that certain lenders, for example, nowadays, um, or investors, you know, if you're, if you're yeah. raising equity, um, are going to ask me these questions. So I need to be prepared for that. So uh, I look at, look at one of the biggest companies in the world, let's say Apple, for example, a lot of what they do now is uh, supply chains, is uh, carbon neutral or carbon free. Is that what some of the things that we're talking about where they're making an effort to whatever they're doing, they're not harming? Absolutely. Well, you'll, you'll see that these mega companies, when they make a shift, often what happens, regulations are following because they set in new standards, right? And so I always observe what these big companies are doing yeah. because it's very likely that at some point there is going to be a regulation that's going to be issued because what they're showing is that it is possible. Yeah. And that you remain profitable whilst doing all of this. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of, we're putting a man on the moon, we can do this, right? So how do we now, how, what does that mean for private companies? I mean, obviously that's a whole complex question. I could talk to you for many, many, many more hours. I'm conscious of time. I don't someone wave the time at me at the moment. We've gone a little bit over. So before we wrap up, mm -hmm. I am quite blown away with the reach this podcast gets. I get people on planes and streets saying, hi, Carl, asking me questions. If someone has a family business, mm -hmm. SME, enterprise, that are not in contact with you already, where do they go and speak to you guys, how they reach out and what's the step? Well, our main website is tharawat.org. So people are most welcome to come and um, look us up uh, and download some of our reports. Contact us if you have a concrete question, of course. Um, we'd love to have people read our publications. Uh, our latest publication is actually ESG related, climate change and family business. Uh, we created a checklist for family businesses to look at their impact and footprint. Um, and yes, I mean, you find us on social media uh, across all channels. And you have different options with regards to the membership, which will invite you to come and see you guys and stuff like that. that Absolutely. Right? So anyone who contacts us, we will then have a look. We will have a discussion. It's a very personal uh, process. So we'll look at what the family business needs and what we can do uh, to support. Frida, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you much. so much for your time. Everybody, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you very right. much.